to Truncated Thoughts presented by Prescouter, where we discuss trending topics in healthcare. I'm Jeremy Schmier, and with me is Dr. Ryan LaRanger. Our show can be found on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. In our last episode, we discussed the presence of robotics in the operating room. Today, we're going to revisit some of those areas that we only glossed over last time. So to begin with, Ryan, let's go back to what you mentioned about 5G and latency, such that even tiny lags can be disruptive to surgery. Can you walk us through what that means? Like, are we basically saying that high-speed internet enables robotic surgery? Uh, That requires a little bit of clarification. 5G uh, internet enables some kinds of robotic surgery. So a a way to think about this is latency is a bigger deal the more distance there is. And so there are some robotic surgery technologies where you can just have a direct wire from the surgeon to the machine. And then obviously 5G doesn't matter. Uh, And we can spend a little bit of time talking about those. There are other cases which allow a surgeon who's in one country to perform the surgery that's happening, you know, hundreds of miles away, right? farther than that. In those cases, uh, 5G is a really really theoretically important enabler. So let's just take a moment talking about what some of those different kinds of surgeries are. Uh, There are some really interesting innovations in, I will say, immediately proximal surgical robots. Uh, For instance, there are some things going on right now with augmented reality systems. So robotic surgery tools which allow the surgeon to deal with otherwise very complex environments that are mechanically challenging and require high precision where the surgeon is in the room or nearly adjacent and they're able to do uh, I'll say finer movements tighter control this happens a lot in particularly brain surgery where you require a lot of force an incredible amount of precision and you know you need sort of exactness from a visual perspective. So the surgeon can have the equivalent of something which looks a lot like, uh, you can call it a Google Glass system. Basically they're wearing glasses which are giving them visual feedback, but they're still allowing them to use their eyes. And these systems can sort of guide their movements in the course of the procedure and allow them to be extremely precise and have other doctors look effectively through their eyes and at the environment and start making calls. So uh, before I go on, does that broadly speaking make sense? It, it does make sense. It feels a little sci-fi to me. Um, one thing you mentioned at the beginning, you know, talking about the fact that these surgeons are not in the room. And in some cases, they may not even be in the same state or city Is this sort of like telesurgery? Can you expand a bit on that? Yes. So on the other side of the equation, there are a couple of these groups which are making sort of full service surgery robots where uh, it's effectively telesurgery, where the doctor is somewhere quite far away and they are managing and operating this procedure. So in that instance, 5G is very important but it falls into a little bit of a a different category. Uh, There are improvements in terms of, uh, like we were talking about before, haptic feedback, their ability to get more sensory inputs. And all of this data stream improves basically as connectivity amongst other things improve. Awesome. 
And so as far as that connectivity and some of these sensors, another thing we, we talked about, and I don't know how connected this is, but we talked a little bit about soft robotics as compared with hard metal robots. What, what types of materials and sensors, you know, what makes these soft robots soft and safe? Am I combining I mean, things there? So there are a little bit. Um, it's still kind of relevant to 5G in that uh, operation of the movement of soft robotics is a little bit different. Uh, sometimes it can be pressure differentials, the movement of liquids in order to approximate the movement of a part. Uh, these kinds of systems can sometimes require more complicated inputs. So in that respect, it still sort of works. I mean, it basically anything we talk about, the advent of an implementation of 5G networks will make it easier for them to use. That's almost a universal truth. Um, almost is the important word there. But in terms of the materials that are being used, it really just runs the gamut right now. There are not single best practices. The ones that uh, we might be most familiar with, I would say, are uh, silicon. But there are uh, you know braided polymers. There are uh, largely liquid-based systems. There are plastics that are being used. Uh, the one that I've seen some of the better results with so far have been with uh, silicon-based systems, though. Got it. And and when you say results in terms of their ability to stay clear of puncturing tissues and organs, um, and then for precision as well. So with soft robotics, uh, there's a, there are a couple of trade-offs that you have to worry about. Uh, one of them is precision, one of them is strength, and one of them is uh, squishiness, softness, for lack of a better term. And uh, these robots are being used in a number of different environments. Uh, actually, one of the more popular ones is in automatic picking of fruit. Um, so you can imagine if you have a very you know, shiny robot hand, if it tries to grab an apple, the apple's going to have a bad time and no one's going to want to buy it. Um, softer robots that have, say, a silicon system, if they are able to respond to resistance by sort of slowing down and they have a silicon outside, they'd have an easier time grabbing the apple. Um, that advance also is important for surgical or uh, medical cases in general, where you need a soft robot that has the ability to move in such a way that it can respond to resistance while being soft. The silicon systems so far look like they have a very good trade-off between material strength and precision, but there's no gold standard yet. And there's a lot of very fascinating innovation going on there. Okay. And so when you talk about these different systems, soft or hard, or, you know, mostly soft as we've talked about so far, but one thing I'm curious about is who's programming these robots? Um, you know, are they being made pre-programmed for certain procedures? I think one thing that I would think is you would need to have both a computer sciences background and a clinical background to understand how to actually design these robots. Speak to that a little bit. How does, what role does the surgeon have? What role does a technician have? So at this stage, the surgeon is still very involved in the robot process. It's, it's um, surgeries are what, <laughs> to use a weird industrial term, it, they're almost always very bespoke <laughs> or artisanal, if you like, uh, just in terms of even if you're doing the same procedure for different patients, uh, 
uh, when you open the patient up and you begin the procedure, it may look quite different. You know, the dimensions are going to be different. There are a huge number of moving parts, haha, uh, that exist when you're doing a surgery like this. And so uh, the programming that you are doing can fall into a couple of different categories. One of them being, how do I as effectively as possible, and some of this is programming, some of this is engineering. How do I keep the surgeon's movements at sort of as a high, at high fidelity as possible with the machine's movements, right? And so as the programmer, I'm not trying to figure out, well, first I move here, then I move there, then I move here. It's instead about how do I make the connection between these two points of movement as good as possible? Now, when we're talking about other programming elements that are essential, it's you do have machine learning tools or artificial intelligence tools, which are focused on identifying based on an image or other sensors, what should happen next. And this is where surgical knowledge is important. And analysis of a huge amount of historical data is also important because it's the combination of those things, uh, you know, not natural language processing so much, but uh, machine vision and other, type of tool, other types of tools can allow a machine to say, this image looks similar to other images that I've seen. And I know that in this class of image, you know, point X is really important. The next thing you should hit is there. So you still have to have the surgeon in the loop. Uh, there is, we are not near, in my opinion, we're pretty far away from the point of a robot being able to reliably do this. But a robot can provide communication to the surgeon and assist in the process. But you generally have not just the operating surgeon, but sometimes other ones as well in constant communication with that system to validate it. Interesting. So sounds like it it's not just the surgeon, but the evolution might be more surgical engineers, you know, as, as it were. Um, that does bring us to the end of what we call truncated thoughts, you know, keeping things concise as possible. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the conversation today. And remember, you can find information on how to contact us with any questions or commentary in the show notes. Next time, uh, we will be talking a little bit about batteries in medtech and what sort of opportunities exist there. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.